Hello and welcome to the Say What is Truth podcast with me, your host, Joni Haas. Uh, To those of you who are new listeners this week, I say welcome. I know that because I did an interview with the Cultural Hall over with Richie, um, a lot of listeners from that podcast have transferred over, and I'm so grateful that you guys are listening. And thank you to those of you who have responded, like Carol in Las Vegas, who sent me a really sweet email about how she's been listening while she's making face masks. Uh, Good luck with all those face masks, Carol. I am in the trenches with you, but not nearly so deep. I've just been making some for friends. Um, Anyone who would like to contact me through email can contact me at saywhatistruth at gmail.com. And I have a favor to ask. It's my birthday this week on April 27th. And with the pandemic going on, I'm really not doing anything. Uh, Maybe I'll get takeout and that will be my special present. But really, the only thing that I want for my birthday is for those who are listening and liking the podcast to spread it. Um, One of the things you can do is leave a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. I love getting the reviews because... You know, this is such a solitary endeavor. You make a podcast, you throw it out into the world, and if people don't respond, you're not even sure if people are resonating with it. So I'm so happy when I get reviews like this one from SGG Love, or maybe it's SG Glove, I don't know, who says, it's your neighbor, it's your friend, it's your sibling, it's your parent, regular people and their amazing yet relatable lives. Every episode offers perspectives that have me nodding, yes, I get it. I find at least one little nugget to take away from every episode. Well done. So thank you. And I have received several uh, really lovely reviews on Apple Podcasts. When you leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, it increases the visibility so that more people are able to find the podcast. So thank you for that. Um, Also, if you would... Uh, if especially if there's an episode specifically that you love, or if you just want to share the podcast in general, use your social media to let people know about it. Uh, maybe say something about it. Um, you can link to the Buzzsprout site, or you can just tell people to find it on their social media platform. I'm on every platform, all the big ones at least. Um, and I did want to tell people also you can join the Facebook page and get more information about episodes and things relating to episodes through the Facebook page. If you have a message for someone who has been on the podcast, uh, something that you want to tell them in the same way that I don't know if people are resonating, the guests aren't sure if people are resonating unless they hear feedback as well. If you have a message for a specific guest, I can certainly relay that. Um, And, you know, that's kind of what I'm here for is to help people connect. So you can send those messages also to saywhatistruth at gmail.com. So if you're just sitting around on or before April 27th and you think, what could I do today? I could do something for Joni's birthday and help get the the word out. Uh, that would be super great. And thank you. Thank you to everyone who has shared such positive feedback with me. Um, it 
really makes me feel super great. The guest today is my friend Ashley, and I was so glad to be able to interview her because even though we've been online friends for a long time, it's the first time that we ever got to hang out. And, uh, you know, her story about becoming a widow at quite a young age really resonated with me as we talked about grief. At the time that we recorded this, my mom was just a few days from passing away, but she was still alive at the time. So I was grappling with my own grief and my own ideas of grief. And it's been interesting to listen back um, talking to Ashley about the way that she dealt with her grief as I was not only feeling grief, but anticipating future grief. And now listening to it after my mom has passed away and thinking about feelings that are universal as we lose people, but then also feelings that are very specific to our own circumstances and the relationships that we've lost. Ashley is such a smart, engaging, warm, talented person. You cannot help but love her. And man, she's a spitfire. She goes after what she wants. And I admire so much about her. And I loved having this conversation with her. Um, at the end of this episode, we talked so much about how we hope the, the concert that we had planned to go to won't be canceled. And at this point, I can't imagine that it won't be canceled. So Ashley, we're just going to have to make future plans. But uh, until then, I hope you all enjoy this episode. So without further ado, here is Ashley. So if you oh, want to like, turn and I have short legs, yeah. so I okay. think I'm good. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So how tall are you? Five feet? Five feet. That's, even. Okay. But is it fun to be short? Because I think short people are adorable. I think I never really had a problem with it, except for I did date one guy and I just was so in love with him and he was like six, four. And he told me, like he said, I really like you, but I want my kids to be basketball players. Oh my god. And gosh. if I marry you, that will not happen. Okay. So you dodged a bullet there. Anyway. I totally did. The funniest <laughs> thing is and, and he's a super nice guy now and he and he did marry a super tall, basically supermodel who is also just oh, amazing. Great. Do they and have they, really tall they kids? They have really tall kids oh, okay, who don't like sports. Oh, <laughs> See, you can't plan. No, there's no way to plan. Yeah, you really can't. Like your kids are going to come the way they come. And so I think other than that, I never really had a problem with it. Um, I do find as a lawyer that people don't take me as seriously. Oh, oh. And so that's interesting. It is. I like, I really have noticed it. And I wonder if I'm an anomaly in that. Height never seems to, like, I don't think of people that way. Like, uh, it's more like the persona that a person gives off. I definitely judge people just as much as anybody else, but I judge them by, like, the energy that they give off. Yeah. And it really doesn't have much to do with height or anything like yeah. that. And I'll have people all the time that will say, I never realized you were so short unless they're standing right next to me. Right. And I think it's because... I mean, I, I walk straight yeah, yeah. and I wear high heels most of the time. Yeah. And especially if like, I'm going to a courtroom, I will wear four inch heels because I have noticed that I get treated differently that is if I'm not. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm like medium. I, I'm like the average everything. I'm 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 average height, average shoe size. Uh, I was below average weight, but now I think I'm hitting that median. When we're taking everyone in the world into account, yeah. I think I'm pretty medium. <laughs> <laughs> it's not not my favorite, but it's fine. Um, okay, so uh, I like to sometimes give a context for how we know each other because this is the first time we're actually like hanging out, even though we know each other. Yes, for a long time. Yeah. So I knew you because you were on the cultural hall, which I've referenced before in. Uh, especially the Kyle episode, we talked about the cultural hall. So uh, Richie produced that. How did you get involved with that? So I was actually a guest on the cultural hall. Oh, that's hall. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. How I did was, you segue that? It was so weird. I was in this band. It was called Tom Worth and Full Circle. And what we were trying to do was we were trying to put on these firesides where... Um, a fireside, for people who don't know, is like a, a non... Uh, like it's another church meeting, but it's like a little inspirational church meeting that is not one of your normal church meetings. Right. And it would usually be held on a Sunday evening right. in the cultural hall yeah. of the church. And so we were in this band and my friend Tom Worth is a songwriter in Nashville. And he had he was a convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he um, he was actually a rocket scientist who converted to the church and then became a songwriter. A wow. country songwriter. Wow. He just a brilliant guy and he just decided he just wanted to change career paths. So he had created this entire album of music about his conversion to the church. Okay. And so we wanted to create these firesides where we would go around and we would sing these songs and they were country songs, but they were about his conversion. And so we wanted people to bring people who may not have been members to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he yeah. could share his story. And um, so we were guests on the cultural hall, and I met Richie, and I told him that I really liked the cultural because I had listened to it, oh, good. and I really liked it, and he immediately said, do you want to be a guest host? <laughs> That's so, so funny. I got, I got on because he and I had done a show together and when he started doing it, I, I started listening and I just thought that would be really cool to me to just go see how this whole process, I asked him if I could just come watch once. And so I came and he immediately put me on a microphone and I spent that whole episode like sweating down to my waistband, just like, yeah. I felt so stupid <laughs> because I wasn't expecting that that was what was going to happen. But I mean, kudos to him for just bringing people on like that. And then I ended up being a regular for, for quite a while until I got sick, really. Yeah, right. Um, but we... Your years, I think, were before my years, mm -hmm. um, and so we we never quite overlapped to the point where we like came on together. So, but I always was like, and I, I I'm still mad at him that he called you Pizza Face. Like that still makes me really angry. Come on, you big jerk. I know <laughs> he, he's so funny, and and the thing was that was really a sensitive subject for me at one point in my life because really? i had serious acne yeah like really serious yeah. acne and so i had mentioned it one time as a joke and he just grabbed onto it and ran with it and i was okay with it because i love him and i knew that he loved me and it was yes. out of love and i love him too but like i'd always be like okay like let that one go 
I know. <laughs> but, of all the nicknames that I could have had. I know, right. And I was always like, I, I'm like, I think he's doing it because he's like, yeah, this gorgeous woman, I can call her pizza face and it's funny. But I'm like, other people can't see that she's this gorgeous woman. Like, like. You know, it's that's like, very nice. It's like you. calling a you know a little tiny person fatty. You're like, oh yeah, ha ha ha. But then if someone can't see that maybe you're not actually fat, then um, like I don't know. Let's just maybe cut the nicknames, make them nice. That's, that's yes, all. I agree. <laughs> um, okay, so so you mentioned music, and mm-hmm. that's been a really huge part of your life. So give me give give the listeners a little background on your on your music. Okay, so I started, um, I mean, I started playing the piano when I was four, and I wrote my first song on the piano in third grade. Did your mom play piano No, or your dad? No, neither of them How'd did. How did you get started so young then? So um, I just wanted to play, and when I was four, I begged my parents to put me in piano lessons. Wow. And so they bought this super old piano. They bought it for like $100 from a nursing home, and tried to find a piano teacher, and they couldn't find they only found one piano teacher who would teach a five-year-old. Right. And so I I started piano at five and I just loved it. And I would practice for hours and hours until my parents would beg me to stop playing the piano. Like they would have to beg me. So it was just one of those things that I just loved from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And so I started writing songs in about third grade. And then I picked up the guitar um, when I was in sixth grade when I heard Jewel. Oh, uh-huh. And so I loved Jewel so much, so I picked up the guitar and I learned, I taught myself how to play the guitar. And I just started writing songs then when I was about, oh, 13 years old. And um, so at about 15 or 16, that's when I started actually playing in bands. And from then on, I just played professionally. So and I... And you sing. I sing, I play the guitar, and I play the piano. So you have a really strong strong voice and um you have a beautiful voice do do you think that your love of music at such an early age like I guess I'm wondering do you think your voice is nature or nurture because um if you were so interested in music early is it because you were like already a natural singer or is it because you sang from such an early age that you became a really talented singer or where, where do you think that that plays in? So this is something I think about a lot because I'll have a lot of people ask me like if I've ever taken voice lessons mm-hmm. and I didn't take my first voice lesson until I was in my twenties and I've only taken a few yeah. and it's mostly just to increase my range. Mm-hmm. And, but I really think I I really believe that some of us are just given certain gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, like I I believe that God gives us gifts, and whether it's whatever higher power you believe in, I just I believe that we are given certain gifts, and we're expected to use those gifts to serve others. Mm-hmm. I really truly believe that. And so a lot of people ask me, well, my daughter really loves to sing, but she can't sing that well, and I would never take someone like that on as a vocal student. Because I think a lot of it is just God-given. Mm-hmm. Not that someone who can't sing can't learn how to sing. Sure. But I think people who just have really good voices yeah. just come by they it naturally. They just have a different instrument inside their body. Yes. Yeah. But I cannot 
draw, I can't even draw stick figures and I am not joking. I can't even draw stick figures. So when I look at like my son, who's an artist, it blows my mind because I could never do, and I don't even have the desire Mm -hmm. to do it. And so I think it's just one of those things. It was just a gift that Heavenly Father blessed me with. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel for people who, um, you know, some gifts are very obvious, like, oh, wow, that girl can sing. And, and I, in particular, I feel like music is like God's language. It's so transcendent that regardless of your age or what language you speak or whatever, it's a way that we can communicate like heart to heart. And so I've always really felt that. And so when someone is very talented musically and it seems to just really come to them, for example, my son, he his brain just thinks in music. It's so easy for him to pick up on theory and all of that. And, and those things I have to, I, I have a little bit of an affinity for, but I have to like really work for and they just like click for him um and then there are people who have because i believe also that we all have gifts but some aren't so flashy or apparent and Mm -hmm. so i feel like there are people out there who who are like i didn't get any and i'm like no you super did it's just yeah i think you have to cultivate it and you have to search for it and i even think like the desires that we have the things that like we desire to do I think a lot of those come from a higher power. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times we ignore them. Mm-hmm. And and especially like once we become moms or 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 dads or adults and we're like I don't have t- I don't have time to learn the guitar but you've got this desire right. to learn the guitar. I feel like there's a reason for that. Right. Yeah, I think that that anytime we feel pulled to do to some to do something um I agree with you that that it you know, why do some people feel like writing poetry and some people don't give a crap about poetry? You know, like if you are interested in it, that is an indication in and of itself. Right. Sorry, I'm knocking the table with my knees. Um, so, so then what happened with your music? So, um, I, so I'm going to have to kind of go into this story and I hope this is okay. Yeah. But, um, when I was 19, I joined a band, um, and in that band, there was another lead singer, and his name was Wyatt. Oh, and uh-huh. so I was in this band. Wyatt was also in this band, and I fell in love with Wyatt. And we, we, when I say we toured around, we toured around Utah County. And, <laughs> That's touring. Yes, That's touring. And and played gigs in Utah County, and I just fell in love with him. And he had blue hair, was the cutest guitar playing lead singer ever. Um, but he was about five or six years older than me. Mm. Um, so this was in a band. Yes. What was the name of your band? The band was called Heedway, which is like such a 20 year old name for a band. <laughs> like so, H-E-E-D way. Yes. Okay. Heed, like instead of headway, yeah, yeah. Heedway. Got it. You know, uh, we are a rock band and a cover band. We covered like Toad the Wet Sprocket. Nice. And, and you played keyboard? I played, yes. And rhythm guitar, so acoustic guitar, and sang as well. Mm -hmm. And so we played gigs, and then we broke up because it, the band realized that Wyatt and I had fallen in love. And that's why? Yes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. So they said, we can't be a band anymore. You guys have ruined it. You've fallen in love. (laughs) 
So, so what? <laughs> Keep playing. It was okay. We weren't that good. So, <laughs> so Wyatt actually ended up moving out to South Carolina to be a helicopter pilot. Mm. That's what he wanted to do. And I was still in Utah and we were together and um, he was saying, hey, this music scene out here in South Carolina is awesome. You should come out here because it's close to Atlanta, Georgia and Augusta, Georgia, which had a really good music scene at the time. Mm -hmm. Also fairly close to Nashville. What year is this? This was in 2000. Okay. So we're talking 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So at the time, and I don't know if you know, so um, Hootie and the Blowfish Uh is from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Edwin McCain at the time. Yes. He was from South Carolina. Came from your lips. And uh-huh. yeah, and Edwin McCain flew helicopters at this place that my husband was going to helicopter wow. school. And so he had become friends with him. And Edwin McCain was also friends with Hoodie and the Blowfish. And so he was getting into this music scene in South Carolina. And so I thought, I'm 19 years old. Why don't I just take my $1,000 that I have, because that's all I have, and let me just move to South Carolina. So I did. Way to go. And so I moved out there. We we would play in like coffee shops because I could, at the time, he was over 21, but I wasn't. So I couldn't play in bars yet. I see. So I would play in coffee shops and he he would play in the bars and we would play together and he learned how to fly helicopters and we ended up getting married. Mm -hmm. So... We did the music thing, um, but I, you know, I had a day job and he was learning how to fly helicopters. And what were you doing as your day job? I was working for a collection agency. Oh man, I've done that. That sucks yeah, so it was bad. The worst, <laughs> oh the worst job <laughs> ever. But then they actually promoted me at, uh, once I turned, when I was 21, they actually promoted me to a manager. So I didn't oh. have to do the collections oh, anymore. Nice. That's good. Um, so was it a pretty quick engagement or? Well, we had known each other at that point, um, almost two years, about a year and a half. Okay. And so the engagement was quick, but we had dated for a while. Okay. And so um, we got we got engaged in, I want to say, June and got married in August. Okay. So, so sorry, not August, September. We got married in September. Oh, okay. That's still fairly quick. Yeah, it and was. That's about like me too. About yeah. Three months. Yeah. But we had known each other for a year and a half. Right. So we were married. We were doing the music thing. He was doing the helicopter thing. We were married about a year and nine months. And then he was actually killed in a helicopter accident. Um after we were married for about a year and nine months. And we can go into that story if you want yes, as well. I, I do want to. In fact, why don't you just go into it and we'll move we'll move timeline and do music after that. Okay. So um so we were actually at a concert. Um this was a Saturday night and we were at a concert. It was about eleven o'clock at night and he gets a phone call from one of his students. So at this point he's a helicopter pilot mm-hmm. and he's now teaching. Got it. So he gets a call from one of his Is students. Is this all private? This isn't military or no, anything? No, not military. Okay. It's all private. Okay. So um, he gets a call from one of his students, and his student says, can we leave as soon as possible? My wife's grandma is dying. We need to go down to uh, Florida and see her grandma before she dies. Oh, wow. And my husband said, hey, could we just wait until tomorrow, which was going to be a Sunday? 
He's like, we just wait until tomorrow. So we're not leaving in the middle of the night. And he said, no, we need to get down there now. So my husband works it out with the helicopter school to use one of their helicopters. And we finish out the concert. And at three o'clock in the morning, I take him to the hangar uh, where the helicopter is. And he says, he's, he's like, the weather is not good. I don't have a good feeling about this. Oh I wish gosh. we were leaving tomorrow. And, um, and the, and then the weirdest thing happened, like he gets out of the car and we had kind of, we were in a fight cause it was like three o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and we weren't really in a fight, but it was just like one of those like tense moments. Right. He didn't really feel good about it. I had a weird feeling about it. So he gets out of the car and, and I roll down the window and I'm like, Hey, Wyatt. And he turns around and I'm like, I love you. And he's like, I love you too. Mm-hmm. And he leaves and I immediately get the feeling that that is the last time I'm going to see him. Wow. And it was a situation where I thought, why in the world would I think such a horrible thing? Right. Like that's such a horrible thought to have. And I drove home and I kept having this feeling like that is the last time that you're going to see him. And I pulled into, we lived in a townhouse and I pulled into the parking lot of the townhouse and, and I just cried because I couldn't, I couldn't believe that I would have those thoughts. Oh, mm-hmm. And so yeah. I felt You're guilty, kind of guilty. Yeah. right? And so I go to bed and I wake up to a pounding at my door, oh my like gosh. just pounding. And, I, and it's Sunday morning. So I'm thinking like, all right, is it someone from church or what's going on? And uh, my room is, my bedroom was on the top floor of our townhouse. So I look out the window and I see a cop car. And so I go down and I open the door and there's a female cop there. And she says, do you know Wyatt Zane Rogers? And I said, yes, I do. He's my husband. And she's like, oh, he's your husband? And she looks at me kind of weird. And I said, yeah, he's my husband. And she gives me a post-it note. And she's like, here's a number to a sheriff in Georgia. You need to call this number. That's all she said? That's all she said. And I, I just said, is everything okay? And she goes, just call that number. Okay. So now I'm by myself oh my and, and, and it's all kind of, I'm not an idiot. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of all coming sure. together. And, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe he just did something wrong and he's in jail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> Best case scenario. Yeah. I'm like, okay, like he broke a law. So he's, he's just in jail. I need to go and bail him out. And so that's, that's where my mind went. So I called the sheriff in Barnesville, Georgia and and he said we have had a helicopter accident here and there are no survivors and and it's kind of, i mean you just don't know how you're going to react in that situation and and to be completely honest with you i don't remember a lot of what happened after sure. that i was in complete shock mm-hmm. and he said i do remember him saying are you alone at your house. And I said, yes. And he said, I'm so sorry. You're not supposed to be alone. There's supposed to be somebody there with you. Oh. And so I just said, okay, I'm okay. And I get off the phone with him and I could not, I think my mom was the first person I called and, and she was in Utah and I was in South Carolina. Right. And I, I that distance felt real big at that moment. Oh yeah. Extremely. And I think for her. Yeah. And, and so I, I 
called her, but it was my stepdad who answered the phone. And it was early in the morning because they were two hours behind. And at this right. point, I want to say it was about 8 o'clock in the morning at, in South Carolina, so about so 6, six o'clock yeah. in Utah. And so I had called them, and I said why it was in a helicopter accident, and there were no survivors. And and I could tell that it didn't really register to my stepdad, and he said, did you just say Wyatt's dead? And he used that word, right. dead. And all of a sudden, it was very, very real. Yeah. And that, and it really, and to be honest, it actually brought me back to reality, where it's like this, this is real, this is happening. Mm-hmm. And my mom said, "I'll get on a plane. I'm on my way." And the next thing I know, this female cop is knocking on my door again. And so I answer it, and she's like, "I'm supposed to stay here with you." And I'm like looking at her and I'm like, it's okay. I have people coming. Cause at this point, like, I think I had called my relief society president when mm-hmm. relief society is the f- women's organization right. in the LDS church. And, and this is a Sunday. Our church starts at nine mm-hmm. and this is all happening at eight right. o'clock. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that she was coming over. I knew that my bishop was taking care of some things and but she insisted on standing in the corner of my living room. Oh, that's that's so comforting. It was the Jeez. worst. I mean, I look back and now. This is post-it note lady, right? Yes. So she's got great bedside manner. Yeah, and I'm just I look back now and I'm like this poor lady. Like this is probably like the first time she's ever had to deal with this. And and I am this 22-year-old girl and I probably look like I'm 17 right because i I don't have makeup on and i'm short yeah and she's she's probably in shock too and and doesn't know what to do but i i'm just staring at her like why are you in my house and so anyway um so that's how that's how that all happened and we ended up having a memorial service for him there in south carolina and then he we actually had a funeral here in utah and he was buried in or he's also from here he so is. his family was probably mostly yes too. yeah so we buried him here in Orem, utah and um after that i continued with music so i would play in bars and um because at the time by yourself uh, by myself okay. i would play solo solo gigs and i still had a day job and so to kind of numb this pain mm-hmm. that i was feeling from this grief I would play in bars and and I started making choices that were not good for me because mm-hmm. I was playing in bars. Sure. So so I started drinking, I did. Mm-hmm. And I was I was still going to church and but but to numb that feeling. Sure. I started drinking and I started hanging around people who were doing drugs and drinking. Mm-hmm. And I did that for about 6 months. So I was making good money playing in bars but I, what, what would happen is I would go I would I usually started on Thursday and I would play Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday and so Thursday night I would go I would start playing at nine o'clock I would play until about one I would go home and then I would wake up at six or seven in the morning and go to my day job mm, and wow. then in, and then the next night I would go and play in the bars again and 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 it was kind of this um, closeted thing where I don't think a lot of people knew mm-hmm. that you know I was kind of drowning my sorrows sure. 
by drinking. Well, it must have been just such a, you know, especially, I think everybody does it, kind of gets a picture for what their life is going to be. But particularly um, being raised in the LDS church, we're taught very much like there are steps that you take. And one of them is that you get married. And then that marriage is for forever. forever. Right. I mean, it's not even a like, we've got 50 years, babe. It's we are together forever and to have it be such a short amount of time and to have you be so young still i i can only imagine that it it felt like the rug was completely pulled out from under you yes and 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 actually this isn't something that i've talked about a lot but since we're being vulnerable and talking about this um when i was married to wyatt um I found out, and, and I really haven't talked about this with anyone, but I just feel like I can talk to you about it. But I I found out that he had a pornography addiction. Mm. And at that age and at that time in the church, that seemed like a really big deal right? to me. Yes. I look back now, and there are so many worse things. Right. But at the time, I'm 20 years old, and and it did feel like a rejection. Sure, to absolutely. Me. Mm-hmm. Um, it it did feel that way, and so we were actually struggling in our marriage at the time, and and it it caused a lot of guilt. Yeah. So I had pulled away a lot because of that, and I look back now, and I'm like, man, I would. Knowing what I know now, I would treat that situation so differently. Right. At 21, 22 years old, I didn't know how sure. to deal with that situation. Well, not only are you quite young, but th- there's no training for this. There's no, it, you know, like there's something to be said for life experience, which you didn't have at that point. But then like nobody says this is what you, because there's, it's it's not a, in anybody's contingency plan for Especially like um, pornography and all that stuff was so stigmatized in that generation for right. us. I mean, like I I have talked to men and talked to to them now that they're older and just the way that they were made to feel as though they basically had like you know given their souls over to Satan almost. It was just it was this huge huge. And I, I have so much sympathy for them because you've got this such strong drive and then strong s- guilt on both sides that you feel like you can't win no matter what. Right. And he, at the time, he we only had one car. And so he was home. Like when he wasn't working, he was home. He, right. he had ended up spending a lot of time at home and he got bored. Yeah. It, I mean, that's how it started. Sure. He got bored. And I think at the time, the church was treating addiction differently mm-hmm. than they do now. Yeah. And and so the message I was getting is this is unforgivable. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so I had pulled away a lot from that relationship and and, and it happened really soon before he had passed away. Mm. And so there was a lot of guilt sure. that I, I had because of the way that I had treated him yeah. for this and and he he wanted to be he he wanted to not have that problem. Right. And to be honest, if I look back, I don't know that it was really an addiction. 
I think that's what I labeled it as. Mm -hmm. I think he just got bored and that's what he did. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of the stuff I was dealing with at the time. And so for about seven months, I still lived in South Carolina and I was still playing music. Oh, you were still in South Carolina. I was. Yes. I had assumed that you came back. I didn't come back um, because it was too hard for me at the time Mm -hmm. to come, to come back and be around people who knew me and knew the situation. I didn't want people to look at me and pity me. Right. And so a lot of the people that I was hanging out with in South Carolina didn't even know Wyatt. Mm. And um, because they were musicians. Mm -hmm. And so I was hanging out with this crowd and playing music. And um, it, it got to a point about six or seven months after his death where I just knew I needed to make a change. And I was still going to church sure. and I was still praying and I still believed in God, yeah. but I was angry and I had a lot of questions and, um, and I knew that I was making choices that I shouldn't be making. Yeah. And so one night I just like, just cried. I, I you know, some people, some people would call it praying, but I just was talking pouring to God and I was crying Mm -hmm. to God and I'm like what what do I need to do like I know I'm not on the path that I want to be on I don't it doesn't feel good I want to be a better person I want to be able to get through this grief the right way was there did you feel like there was pressure whether from yourself or from outside sources to to hurry and get over it yes because I was 22 years old. So now all of a sudden I was this single 22 year old girl. And also people kept saying, Oh, you're so strong. You're Mm. so, and so, and so I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess I have to be strong. Like they're saying that I'm strong. So that's what I need to be. Mm -hmm. And, and I am not a crier. I'm like, I I just am not like an outwardly emotional person. And so I think people would see that like, I just wasn't always crying and I wasn't always like acting sad and so I just felt like that's how I needed to be. Mm. And that trauma probably was so deep. Like the trauma is there, whether you cover it or however you act or mask it or whatever. Um, just, you know, interestingly enough, I was just talking to my dad the other day when my when my mom, I, I said goodbye to my mom, basically, because mm-hmm. uh, I came back home from visiting them. I may see her again in this life, and I may not. I do not know. But um, I was talking to my dad, and he very much is the kind of person that's just like, you take what life gets you, and you just you just keep moving past it. And he, he talked about uh, how he'd get over it. I said, Dad, you are not going to get over it. I'm like, you, you'll learn to deal with it better. But this is, you've been married 60 years. You're not going to get over this even if you act like you're getting over it right the trauma is there the pain is there yeah and you have to go through it yeah i mean you really do and that's that's what i was avoiding Mm -hmm. you know with the with the music and the drinking i was avoiding going through it yeah and so when i just like poured my heart and soul out to my heavenly father it this very clear voice, you know, this is one of those experiences that people talk about Mm -hmm. and, but a very clear voice just said, you have to move back to Utah. And I had never had any intention of ever 
ever moving back to Utah once I moved out. And so I fought that for a few days and it just kept coming back to me. As you were experiencing the grief and stuff, did you feel like being around family would make it harder? Yes. And I knew that I was making choices that they would not be okay with. And so, and to be honest, I had this music career that I enjoyed. Right. And I knew that if I moved back to Utah, it would not be the same. The opportunities would be very different. Right. And so, but I just listened to it. And so I moved back to Utah and the day, the day that I moved back, I went to my best friend from high school. He's a male. And I went to his house and he had this roommate that I knew before I even married Wyatt and his name was McLean. Mm -hmm. And I went to my best friend's house and hung out and McLean was his roommate. And that night I knew that I was going to marry McLean. What? Yes. It, it, that I, is I just crazy knew. Crazy pants. <laughs> yes. And McLean, but we dated for two years. McLean did not know. Okay. But I knew. <laughs> so, so were you like all during the dating process, just like keeping that to yourself? Or are you saying like, no, I'm going to like, no. I'm going to marry you someday. I wasn't going to be weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I knew the day I saw you that I would marry you someday. No, I wasn't going to be weird about it. And I even dated, you know, I dated other guys yeah. too. But I, but I knew. How did you know? Was it just like a it feeling? It was a very strong feeling. And, and I had even had the feeling even before I had moved back to Utah, which was weird because I had not really thought about McLean like in that way. Yeah. Um, and, and so, but it, his face and his name just kept coming to me. And, and it was that night when I went to my friend, my best friend's house and I saw him, he, it was just like, yeah, this, this is the guy you're going to marry, but don't be weird about it. Be cool. <laughs> that is so interesting. I mean, like, I think that there are lots of people who end up marrying people without ever having had anything like that. You know, they're like, I think this is probably a good idea and they just do it. But I'm glad that, you know, with all the shiz that you had to go through there Mm -hmm. were those markers of like no there's a plan like somebody's watching out for me and like guiding me along the way yes and I and that's what I've always had to come back to as like as my faith has evolved and changed over the years I've had to come back to that experience where I know that there is something bigger than me there is a higher power that has helped lead me because there is no way I would have ever moved back to Utah I mean, there, there just isn't. And, and frankly, I didn't really want to get married very soon after Wyatt died right. because I, I thought, well, I'm just going to continue with my music career. I'm going to go to college because at, at this point I was 22 and I hadn't even gone to college and I had no plans to go to college at all. I just wanted to be a rock star. Right. And so, um, I think had I not been led on that path and had I not listened my life would have gone a very different different way. So I always have to come back to that where I know that was so outside of me. That mm-hmm. was not that was not something that I really chose to do other than it was placed in front of me and I chose to take that opportunity. Did was there any feeling of resentment of like but that's not what I want? You know, like like when you think, "Oh, I guess I'm supposed to just get in this new relationship." and get married, was there any thought of like, 
was there any thought of betrayal toward Wyatt? Oh, yes. And absolutely. And, um, you know, and and I don't know how deep you want to get into this, but... um, It's however deep you want to get. (laughs) The deeper, the better is always my opinion. (laughs) Yeah. And and I'm okay being vulnerable here because I've shared this story a lot, but um, there, you know, in our church... People get married in the temple. Most a lot. Some people get married in the temple. Most people know that. Mm-hmm. Wyatt and I. When I met Wyatt, he was not active in the church. By the time we got married, he was, and we got married in the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started dating McLean, he had just gotten off his mission about oh maybe seven or eight months before. Mm. Is well, he younger than you? No, actually, it was. It was more than that. It was maybe, it was about a year, about a year before we started dating. So you're similar in age. And he actually went, he went on a mission about a year later than most boys did at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so that's what, so we were both around 22 Mm -hmm. years old. And, um, and part of the reason we dated for two years is because we didn't know how we were going to work out the temple situation. So Mm -hmm. for those people who don't know at the time, um, men could be sealed to more than one woman. But women could only be sealed to one man. Right. And so I knew... Like a man could be sealed to a wife who had passed away and then also be sealed to a new living wife. Exactly. But a woman could not do the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. And um, as McLean and I were dating, that's when I learned I could not be sealed to both of them. I had... Oh, you didn't know that before? I didn't. I had no idea. And... I realized I was going to have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I'm about 24, 25 years old because we had dated a couple years. Mm -hmm. And um, I, when we started talking about marriage, we -hmm. had to start talking about like the possibility that we would not be married or sealed in the temple. Right. And for McLean, who grew up in the LDS church, went on a mission, was a good Mormon boy. Yeah. It wasn't even an option for him to not be sealed in the temple. Right. So there were times during our relationship during that two years where we broke up, you know, and and then got back together and and had a lot of questions. And so, um, and and I don't know how many of your listeners are LDS or are not. So it's it's mixed, but there are a fair amount of LDS listeners. Okay. So, um. When when we decided to get married, I went to my bishop, and he said, "I I don't know what you want to do, but if if you want to be sealed to McLean, then I will help you do that." And so it was a situation where, and and I'll be honest, I almost left the church because of it. Because I, I, I was going to ask, like, what that does to your faith when you get put in that position. I almost left the church because of, of it. I thought, first of all, how unfair, like, the, the, um, that there's a double standard. Mm-hmm. How unfair. Yeah. Also, you're asking a 24, 25-year-old girl to make a decision for somebody exactly. else. Exactly. That's the thing that would be so hard for me. It's one thing if you are just making a choice for yourself, but you're essentially making that choice for Wyatt as well. And McLean. Yeah. And and so I like you're I was put in this position where I had to make this huge choice that was going to affect someone's eternal existence. Right. And salvation. 
Mm-hmm. And so I really struggled with that. I really did. And my and and it affected my faith a lot. Was there my tendency would be to be like, Wyatt, give me a sign. What do you want me to do? Yes. Did you do that? Every every day. And and this is what I will tell you. I had a very it was another one of those. I have had very few spiritual I'm I'm only talking about like my spiritual experiences that I've had. These are like the only three spiritual oh, okay. experiences that I've So you're not like just getting all no, that revelation day. Like, okay. These three spiritual experiences are literally like the only time where I just have known. Yeah. And 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 that experience is like very sacred to me, but it was a very, very clear answer that I needed to be sealed to McLean, but also, and this was really important, that the way that we think things happen is not necessarily the way that they happen. Absolutely. That's actually where I bank all of my faith mm-hmm. because, um, you know, anyone who's been listening knows I've alluded to the fact that I've had like a, a very interesting faith journey and um, I'm, I'm, in the church and I'm, I'm a believing member, but there are a lot of things that I'm like, I don't think like for me to, for me to be fully vested, it has to be different than some of the assumptions that we make. Exactly. Because things don't make sense to me if it's, if it's really cut and dried the way that a a lot of ways that, that we assume that it's going to be. Right. So I actually draw a lot of comfort from that idea of like, it's not, you don't really have a concept of what it actually is. Right. So don't stress too hard about That's that. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. That's, it, it was, it, it was, you cannot even, pers- like you, you don't have the ability to understand yeah. how it really works. Yeah. So stop getting in the weeds. Mm-hmm. Like if if you want to marry McLean and he wants to be sealed, then go for it. Yeah. And, and it was, it just was a very clear answer to me that we, we just can't comprehend. We cannot comprehend how it's going to happen. But the, the sense of calm and peace that came over me, that it was all going to be okay, that I wasn't betraying Wyatt was what I needed. To be able to move forward, to be able to move forward with McLean, and also to be able to move forward with my faith, right? And because I really almost left the church because mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know a lot of people who, um, you know, get really hung up about, you know, for example, there's a couple that I know that are divorced, and um, and then now they've both been remarried, and the the wife in particular is really concerned about how that works with her children being sealed to both her and her ex-husband. And, and she feels really responsible for, for breaking the chain because she was the one who asked for the divorce. Right. And, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, there, I'm positive. I'm, I don't, there's no point to me even believing in a God who doesn't work all these things out. Right. It's going to be fine. Like I can't, I don't even want to believe in a God who's like, nope, yeah, you screwed the pooch on that one. And then that's it. There's no recourse. Right. 
There's going to be a way for all of us to be happy. There has to be, or else what's the point? <laughs> so. No, I, I completely agree in that. And that really was, and again, like those spiritual experiences that I just talked about are really like the biggest spiritual experience of, experiences I've ever had. And I haven't really had any experiences like that since. So that's why I always have to come back right. to that and remember yes. and remember those experiences that, again, that didn't come from me. Mm-hmm. It didn't because I think I would have left the church. Yeah. I only have maybe one or two experiences like that. And when things get really tough, I have to go back and say, maybe my entire faith has to hang on that one hook because that one experience, I think that was real. Right. But everything else feels like it's loosey goosey floating all around me. And, and, but I'm like there, but there was that one time. Yep. And so I just keep coming back to it and you know, I'm like, I hope that holds until God gives me something else because I'm really pinning like my entire faith on that. Oh, I know. know. One or two little experiences. And I think, but I think that's why we, I think that's why we don't have those experiences very often because then they would lose their meaning and, and their power. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because I think sometimes I'm like, you know, why, why won't God speak to me? Yeah. (laughs) I get frustrated. (laughs) Yeah, I just like it's so powerful that it hasn't happened like that for me for, you know, since I was 24, 25 years old and I'm 37. Mm-hmm. So it's been 12 years since I've really had a, an experience like, like that. So, okay, so then what happened with your music at that point when you got married to McLean? So, um, I got married to McLean and I started going to college. I decided that that was probably something I should do. <laughs> And so I went to the University of Utah, and while I was going to the University of Utah, I joined a country band. And in this country band, I played the keys, you know, the piano, and sang backup. And I actually played with Lindsey Sterling. Oh, right. So a lot of people know who Lindsey Sterling is. And at the time, she was this struggling BYU student, and um, she was our fiddle player. Mm -hmm. And she had just... We started playing together, and... A cup, like about a year after we started playing together, she went and did Amer- America's Got Talent. Right. And and that's when they like kicked her off and told her she sounded like a bunch of drowning rats. Right. And um, when she did that, was she dancing at the, like, was, did she have her act like that at, on America's Got Talent or was it just She violent? was just playing the fiddle. Okay. And now she would move around on stage and sure. was super cute. We knew that she hadn't had any formal dance training. Mm-hmm. Um. And when she went on America's Got Talent, we were all really surprised because we were like, we actually didn't really know that that's what she did mm. because she just played the fiddle. And, yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, we were really surprised and we played together for about seven years. Oh, wow. That's a long time. Yeah. And, and I played for that country band for about seven years. And then I had my first baby. Mm-hmm. And when he was little, I would take him on the tour bus with us. And so I would like hire a nanny. We would go on the tour bus. We'd usually leave on a Thursday, go play gigs Thursday, Friday, Saturday, come home on a Sunday. Um, Or I would leave him like with my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, And that got too hard. It was too hard. Yeah. Uh, So as a mom, you know, as a mom and a wife and being gone every single weekend, I couldn't go on family vacations because I was playing gigs every weekend. Right. And so that's just when I decided you know, there's a time and a season for everything. And at that point I was about 30 years old. And so I said, well, I'll just, I'll join a local cover band. 
So, but at that point, what, before you made that choice, what were your aspirations? Like, were you trying to really be like, I want to make it big. I want to be yes. the rock star. I really did. And I, and I really, what I wanted to be was I wanted to be a songwriter or, you know, a member of a band. I didn't necessarily want to be like Gwen Stefani or, right. you know, I, but I just wanted to play music professionally. I wanted to be able to do what I loved and make money. But the funny thing is, sometimes we think we want something. And then when we get it, we're like, oh, maybe that's not really what I wanted. Mm. And so I was playing music professionally and I was making money. And even after I quit the touring country band, I started in a cover band. And it got to the point where I like, I literally could not sing flipping Sweet Home Alabama or Don't Stop Believing one more time. <laughs> Like I could, it was, it sucked my soul out of my body every time. And listen, those are great songs. They really are. Like everyone who's listening is like blasphemy. No, I get it. And, but I just, it was soul sucking for me. I, I find it so interesting. I've heard from so many different types of artists, writers, musicians, um, you know, like media artists that as soon as something becomes something that they truly love becomes a job and an expectation. Sometimes the joy, you know, when you've got a deadline yep. or like you're not singing Sweet Home Alabama because you love it. You're singing it because you sing it every time. Yes. And like, I th- I think to myself, like bands like U2, like Kim, who was on a couple episodes ago, is obsessed with U2. And I, they're still touring. And I think... I bet they are so, so, so tired of their music from like the 80s that everyone wants to hear. They sing with or without you. Oh my God. But y'all tell you, I have been to a U2 concert and Bono, he just kills it every time. And he seems so sincere. That's the thing that kills me is I think either he is an amazing actor or he has the capacity to still feel it thousands and thousands and thousands of times yeah i mean they deserve more rock stars deserve a lot of credit i'm just saying they really do (laughs) it's a hard life and i and i did write songs and i actually recorded my own album like you can find it on itunes and under the name um ashley garby smith and actually g-a-r-b-e yes ashley garby smith and Lindsay Sterling actually plays on a track called Good Enough For Now, which I wrote about the first person I dated after Wyatt died. Mm. Good Enough For Now. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, and so so you can actually find that, you know, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever. But but I think I, so I recorded the album and then I like barely made the money back mm. that I spent. And I, I think I only spent about $5,000 to make the album. Yeah. And I made about $5,000 back in just playing gigs and selling. And then that's about it. Mm -hmm. And it's just hard. It's a hard industry. It's hard to make money. And it stopped bringing me joy. It really did. It just just stopped bringing me joy. And so I thought this must be God's or the universe's way of telling me that it's time to move on to something. Because I had been having this desire to go to law school Mm -hmm. for about 10 years. So you did, you graduated from, with your bachelor's. I did. Mm -hmm. In? In English. Yes, Yes. me too. Power to the (laughs) English majors. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. who basically get their degrees so that they can do something else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but I so never I can, did anything else. I can sound really smart in book clubs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've found that most book clubs don't want me because they're like, okay, Miss Pretentious. I'm like, what? We're talking about books. It's the only thing I know. I know. <laughs> but maybe that's why I'm not in a book club. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I... I majored in English and during the time I was like, while I was also in a band and I was going to, um, I was going to the university of Utah, I was a paralegal at a law firm. Oh, cool. And, and that's when I, I looked around and thought if these guys can do this, I, maybe I could do it (laughs) because not all attorneys are brilliant and, but it just looked so fun. And I love, I, I just really loved it. And so that was something I thought I wanted to do, but then I, I got pregnant. I had my first baby. Um, I ended up being a stay at home mom for about seven years, but this desire to go to law school just was always there. And it, again, I feel like if you've got that desire and it won't right. go away. And you- I think you need it because if I were to just right now be like, I bet I could do law school. I think I would, you know, study for the, the test and then be like, no, no, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so hard. I mean, and especially cause I had been out of school for eight years at that point. And, but I thought this desire is not going away. Mm-hmm. So this is something, Yeah. you know, and, and maybe this is again, I don't think we have one path. I sure. think there are so many paths that we go on in our lives and it's like, I did the music thing and I was successful at it for a while and I really enjoyed it. And then I didn't anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it was time to switch paths. And I think that's okay. I think we think that we have these desires and like, you know, this is what I want to be. I want to be an author. And then you write a book and you're like, man, I didn't really enjoy that process very much. And, and so sometimes you have to do those things to maybe realize maybe that's not what you wanted to do. Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's really common. The stories of people who, you know, from a from a young age, like, I always knew I wanted to be a surgeon. And then they grow up and they go through medical school and they become a surgeon and then they're a well-renowned surgeon and that's their life. Those are the, those are the anomalies. Right. You know, most people change careers, you know, a few times or at least change tracks within a career. Yeah. You know, like, it's pretty... I think it's pretty common, but we don't celebrate that very often. So no. I think when people are going through that, they think they're alone, but it's actually really common. Yeah. And I think that's how it should be because why not try a bunch of different things and figure out what you want to do for the moment. And, and so you go to law school and I, I knew a lot of people who went to law school and in the middle of law school, they're like, I definitely don't want to do this. Right. And I definitely don't want to be a lawyer. So I'm out. Yeah. And, I, and I'm like, I don't blame you. And when people ask me, like when a, adults who, who are like parents and they're, they're looking for a career change and they ask me if they should go to law school, like I'm very honest with them. And I'm like, man, if you, if you don't want to be a lawyer, like if, you, if that is not what you want to do, be some kind of lawyer, whether it's, you know, on the government side or you know, you know, in the private sector, then do not do it. Yeah. Well, it's hard. You documented your whole law school process pretty accurately, clearly, like regularly. And I would just, you know, you'd post and you're like studying in your basement and talk about how little sleep that you were getting. Plus you had these two little kids and I was just like, Oh honey, you, I mean, 
<laughs> that's when I would have been like, you are so strong. Because <laughs> no, going to law school and taking the bar was harder than anything I ever went through. Yeah. But that and that is the honest truth. And I know that's like it looked brutal. It was it was very hard because you're ranked with your classmates. I had 136 classmates. And well, 135. There were 136 of us. And you're ranked one to 136. Yeah. And you like you might not know what your exact ranking is, but you know what your percentile is, you know where you fall. And that is that can be really demoralizing. I'm sure. Yeah. And there were people who didn't want me there at the law school or didn't want any mom or oh or woman. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because they thought that you just were not going to be able to perform? Well, I think what it is, well, no, I know because I had conversations with individuals about this. Oh, I went to BYU Law. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there were some men. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and I'll say some men because there weren't a lot of women in law school who thought this, but there were some men who believed that the women who were toward the top of the class were taking jobs and spots away from them because oh. they were like, well, you have kids, so are you really going to are you really going to work? Right. Or you're going to get married and you're going to have kids and then you're not going to work and you've just and taken the, the job. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Because it's those top positions and those top those top ranked students that get the really good jobs. Mm-hmm. And and I would say it's I mean, it's a low percentage of the people who felt that way, but they are a very vocal, right? Small group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I had some run-ins with some dudes at law school. And that's when you have to be pretty sure of those convictions, you know, like, no, I know that I want to do this because yeah. that could be, I can just imagine if you're feeling any bit of insecurity at all, that could be enough to be like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, you know? Oh, absolutely. And that happened frequently. You know, it was, it, I always, I thought, I didn't always think, but I thought a lot. I thought, I am not smart enough to be here. I am in this class with people who were valedictorians of their high school, mm-hmm. of their college classes, people who have achieved these big, huge, massive academic achievements. And I was a musician. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a musician and a mom of, of two kids. And I wasn't anything special in high school. And I wasn't really anything special in college either, as far as academics went. I mean, I, I got I graduated with high honors. But you're talking brilliant, right people. So is it is it essentially the LSAT that decides whether you get in? It's the LSAT and then your GPA, your college GPA. Okay. And I had a really high GPA. Um, my college GPA was high. I had to take the LSAT twice. Mm. So my, my first LSAT score was not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I, it wasn't that like I applied for BYU and they rejected me. I just knew that it wasn't high enough. Right. So you took it again. Yeah. So I took it again and I, I increased my score significantly and because I, I actually like studied the right way. Mm-hmm. Cause I think sometimes some of us, a lot of things come easy like academically and I I just kind of thought that like oh I've always been good at taking tests and I'm good at writing mm-hmm. well it didn't come that easy yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was a good lesson for me that you actually have to work at this yeah stuff. my husband um he <clears throat> 
got his master's of accounting and he has always been like, you know, 4.0 student. He learned the game of school very, very early. Mm-hmm. And, um, he's, he's a really smart guy, but his grades are a mixture between yes, of his, his intellect, but also learning how to get the grades. There's yeah. a game that you have to play and oh. he was good at it. And that's how law school is too. And, um, and then when he took the GMAT, which is, uh, at the time, I don't know if it's the same now, but it's four different tests and you have to get a certain grade on all of them in order to pass, you know, and, and when he failed a couple and had to retake them, I think that was a little bit demoralizing for him. And I was just like, no, hun, they're just hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's just hard. <laughs> just like some You work. just got to try again. You're going to get it, but it's, it's hard. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, and there are lawyers out there practicing who had to take the bar five times. Right. And and so, like, I was really fortunate um, that I didn't. I, you know, I took it one time and I passed, but it was the worst experience ever. It was horrible, and I probably wouldn't do it again. Just because the test taking itself was miserable, or was there more about it that made it's it the, awful? the studying, because you only have two months from the time you graduate to the time that you take the bar. Mm-hmm. So you're condensing so much information into a short period of time. So I would study 14 hour days. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that I can't even imagine. That. Yeah. That like, does I, a number on you emotionally and mentally and physically. And so you've got those two months. Meanwhile, you have two little kids as well. And I was working part-time. Oh my gosh. Oh my and gosh. so, so it was really, so that part was hard. And the way that they, the way that they um, teach the bar is they essentially make you think you're going to fail. So they'll have you take all of these practice tests and you fail them. I see. And, and so it's just, they always say, trust the system. Is it designed this way to weed people out? Yes. Yes. Okay. And uh, Utah has a 75% pass rate. So, you know, 75% of the people are going to pass, but 25% of the people, and it's not always the bottom 25%, right? Sometimes you have smart people that just aren't good test takers or they get like test anxiety. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it was a really horrible experience. I don't know that I would, if if I had known how hard it was going to be, I don't know if I would have done it, but I'm so glad I did. Right. I'm so glad I did it because I love being a lawyer and I love practicing law. So what type of lawyer are you? So I do, um, business law Mm -hmm. and estate planning and then litigation, which I really enjoy. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I would have to say, because it is interesting as we've gotten to know each other just, you know, through online stuff, but over several years, there are some things that very clearly I'm like, oh my gosh, we're like the same person. Like we like the same thing. So, or sometimes it's a pretty specific thing. And I'm like, wow, I love that she knows that. But then I'm like, no, I, I could, I could not, would not in a box be a lawyer <laughs> I could, like, I just would never, ever, ever want to be a lawyer. Not only would I not want to go through the process of becoming a lawyer, I don't, there's nothing about it that interests me, like, at all. Oh, so. I get that. And I, that's the thing is when people ask me if they want to go to law school, I'm like, I don't, if they should go to law school, I'm like, I don't know if you want to. I really don't, <laughs> I don't know if you really want to. But it's social media is so funny because I felt the same way about you where, it, you find these like kindred spirits mm-hmm. through social media. And it's funny that we've known each other as long as we have. And this is the first time that we've actually connected. Yeah. But I truly feel like you're like a soul sister. Yes, to absolutely. Me. And, and so it always makes me wonder, like, like, 
did we know each other? And you know, I hope so. Like, and and I you do you. That. And I know a lot of people like do think that. And I think it's a little bit weird. But it's like, why? Why are there some people you just really connect with? And it it happens every now and then. And there, I I can name maybe five or six people that in my life, within two minutes of meeting them, I'm like you and I are connected. Like, I know that you and I are somehow kindreds, yeah. you know? And and they and they are, and they continue to be throughout my life, you yeah. know? But, um, and so, like, every now and then, I love it when you ask for book recommendations because I'm like, here's someone who will like my book recommendation. Yes, and I've liked <laughs> literally every book recommendation. Because my sister will be like, you like to read? What book recommendations? And I'll give her, she's like, no. I don't want to read any of those. I'm like, okay, how about Nicholas Sparks? Do you want me Nicholas Sparks? Because I hate I Nicholas hate Nicholas Sparks. Sparks. And I hate Nicholas Sparks. And I know that you would never give me no, that kind I would of a recommendation. Never give you Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> but it is I like I just love I, I know that you know social media gets a bad rap, but you know, we and we do waste a lot of time, but I just love how it can connect us with people that we just otherwise wouldn't connect with. Yep. I, I've said it before and, and I still think it every now and then I'll be shoveling through the crap that is my Facebook feed and I'll think, why am I doing this? But then I'll uncover gold and I'm like, this is why I keep doing it. Yep. Because there's gold in all this crap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we, we take the good with the bad. But uh, well, um, is there any uh, anything that you are... I don't know, but th- that you might want to promote or that any mottos in your life that you live by or anything that you didn't mention that you might want to mention? I don't know. I feel like I've been super vulnerable here. and I love it. <laughs> I appreciate it so much. But I, I really do think, you know, and this has kind of been like this recurring theme in this conversation, but I think we have to really pay attention to those, like the desires Mm -hmm. that we have and the talents that seem to come our way or the skills that we have, because I really think that the reason we have them is so that we can serve others. Mm -hmm. I believe that 100%. And, and I remember like, even as a teenager, like we would have church lessons about service and I was like, Oh my gosh, another lesson on service. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that every everything that I have been blessed with as far as like my abilities and skills and, and the desires that I have, have led me to be able to serve others. And that's what really brings me joy. And so like, even if you're a mom in your thirties, like me, and you have this random desire to go to law school, like you've got to listen to it. Mm -hmm. And because I think it's, a lot of times those things are coming from outside of you and there's a purpose sure. for them. And I think a lot of times um, people, uh, I notice this particularly with my children who they'll, they'll say, but I don't have anything. Like I don't have any gifts. I don't have anything special about me. And I think often when something comes really naturally to us, we don't realize that that thing which seems obvious and easy doesn't come naturally to everyone else Mm -hmm. so we don't realize that we're special in that certain thing and maybe it's a harder to understand thing I mean there are outward talents like we were saying everyone can hear if someone has a beautiful voice or if they can um you know win races or whatever but sometimes like for example my daughter has an amazing gift to forgive 
Mm-hmm. And so she is able to um, maintain relationships when other people would would scrap them because they let their anger, you know, get in the way. And she's able to see through and understand the pain of people mm-hmm. past their behavior. I'm like, you, you poor high school student who at this moment, it feels as though people who are treating you poorly are being rewarded for that. Right. Whereas in the long run, you're going to have the gift of relationships that last. Yep. And to her at this moment, that doesn't necessarily feel super special or great, you know, mm-hmm. when things that she wants to have happen aren't happening for her. But I try to tell my kids, if something feels obvious to you, it's a gift. Yeah. Anything that feels obvious to you is a gift. And you have to realize that it's not obvious to everybody. Yeah. You know, like I have to tell my son, some people cannot find the note. Some people can't <laughs> they can't hear, hear the it. Note. Right. And to him, he's like, but it's just... You know, or intervals are super easy for him. And I'm like, yeah, some people have to, like, really learn that. And he's like, but it's just a fifth. I know. (laughs) So if it feels obvious to you, that's a gift. And and if it's, you know, so I I, I totally agree with that. And here I am. I'm a 40-year-old person who I'm like, yeah, I mean, I have a college degree and I have a lot of interests, but I have struggled with being like, what is my purpose on this planet? Mm-hmm. I don't have a career. And people are like, but you're a mom. Well, yes, I know. But yeah. um, I want to leave this world having put something in it besides just my children. You know, right. I'm happy to be raising my children and I love it, but I want something that has my signature on it, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm, but see, here's the funny thing. And here's the funny thing about you is you have written all these amazing, like short stories, and you've like they've been published. And but people don't read short stories. But, but here's the, and that's the funny thing is I don't think it's just one purpose. I don't think any sure. of us have just one purpose. Right. It's there's you don't know who might read any of your sure. short stories and. And who might be touched by it. And it's, you don't know like what experience you're going to go through that's eventually going to help someone else. And I think that's really the purpose. It's absolutely true. And that's why I love doing this because, um, you know, with every episode that I post, someone either says to me about that episode, A, I didn't realize I wasn't alone in this feeling or experience or whatever, Mm -hmm. or I had no idea other people went through that. And so it's, it's building people anyway. And so that's what's ex- exciting and energizing to me about doing this project. But um, yeah, anyway, well, I'm so, so, so excited that uh, you came and we <laughs> we actually bought concert tickets to go see Alanis Morissette in June. And I'm going to be so sad if that gets They cannot canceled. cancel it. Oh. I will be, it, I have been looking forward to it. I know, me too. It's going to be so great because I've, there have been so many times where I'm like, I don't know how this could happen because we're not really in that place where you say, hey, do you want to get together and just like sing to music? I know. <laughs> I know. But I would love 
to do that. I I keep picturing us just like, you know, I know. singing to Alanis. <laughs> well, here's, really fun. here's the funny thing is some other like we're kind of going with this like hodgepodge group of women who just like to get together and sing, but we've never gotten together all together. Sure. So it's if it gets canceled, it's going to be so sad because. And I don't know when you're publishing this, but we're like right in the middle of this yes. pandemic. Yes. This will probably publish uh, towards the end of April. So, so still so in the we're middle. Gonna, yeah. Still we're, in the middle. We're going to yeah. still be in the thick of it. So just keep your fingers crossed that Alanis Morissette still comes. <laughs> oh, anyway, thank you so much for coming. It's It's been a blast. Oh, thank you. And now it's time for a bright spot. Uh, I'll keep this pretty short since this episode is already quite long, but um, not to keep bringing up my mom and her passing, but it is something that is quite a huge thing in my life at this time. And as I was thinking about what bright spot I could share, I wanted to talk about an experience that I had at her graveside. Because of the pandemic, we were not able to hold a funeral, which made me very sad for everyone who wanted to show their love and support and get some closure at a funeral and were not able to. But for the small group of us who were able to go to the graveside, we were able to have opened the casket and say some final goodbyes. And I love that my last view of my mom was with sunlight on her face. That's kind of an ex- uh, a unique experience that most people don't get to have. And before she passed away, um, I think it's it was a blessing that we knew it was coming. So I didn't feel like there was anything that got left unsaid. But I did tell her... Um, if there's a way that you can let me know that you're there, will you please try? Because my attitude toward the afterlife is that I believe there is one, but I've never had an experience that made me feel like there is evidence of one. And, you know, I really want to be able to feel confident that my mom continues on and have the hope that I'll be able to see her again. At the graveside, it was a beautiful spring day, but it was quite cold and chilly, and there was a very brisk wind blowing. And uh, my brother stood to say a prayer to dedicate the graveside. Um, I don't know what the practice is uh, universally, but in LDS funerals and graveside services, we say a prayer to ask a blessing and dedication on the site itself. And as my brother was giving that prayer, I had my eyes closed and the wind had died down just a little bit in our area, but I could hear the rushing of it somewhere off to my right. And I could, I felt this sense of anticipation that it was coming. So even though there was a lull right where I was standing, I felt this wind and I could hear that it was coming. And as it got closer and closer and I felt it hit me, I can't say that I felt like it was my mom per se, but I realized in that moment that I don't need her to let me know that she's there because I do believe. 
and I felt so much comfort and it was like a light, a light, airy helium feeling inside where I felt peace and I knew that everything was going to be okay. And it made me think this week about how often we hope for things to turn out a certain way. And it's not until we are in those situations that we realize maybe we don't need it to turn out the way that we thought we did. And so the bright spot is everything's okay. Everything's going to be okay. Um, I read on Facebook somebody's post saying that we're not all in the same boat, but we are all in the same storm. So some of us may have stronger boats than others, and we're going to need a lot of patience and a lot of grace to get through this time with each other. People react strongly and sometimes poorly when they're afraid, and there's a lot of fear happening right now. But I hope that you guys will show grace and patience with other people because in the gray area of where all of our comforts lie during this pandemic, some people think it's not that big of a deal. Some people are feeling so much anxiety. Try to understand that your middle ground may be at a different place than someone else's middle ground, that they may be in a different ship as we weather this storm together. And the whole point is to help get us all through together. Be safe out there. Um, I know that everyone's starting to feel pretty antsy right now and a lot of um, impatience. Be patient. We are going to get through this one day at a time. Thank you again for everyone who has reached out. If you want to be a future guest on this podcast and you can make it or live near the Salt Lake area, please shoot me an email. Uh, I would love to let you share your story. In the meantime, be a light and say what is truth. Music.